everybody. This is Kevin O'Donohue, licensed mental health counselor. And this is Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. And you're listening to The Positive Mind. Bringing you some ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And are you living a positively-minded life? It's kind of tough with what's been going on. We're past the four-month mark of COVID-19, this national and international and world pandemic. And have you noticed any changes? Changes in your thinking about all of this. We talk often about our moods and feelings and emotions and lack of them uh, and how those have changed in this process of the pandemic. But what about your thinking? Has your thinking changed about this virus? Has your thinking changed about masks or no masks? Has your thinking changed about your government um, and public uh, elected officials? What has changed? Is your thinking changed? Or are you not changing? Has nothing changed? Are you still uh, still at your position that you had when this first started? You know, Nasima, some people are saying from the start it's been a hoax. You know, and other people have said this is unprecedented. You know, there's a spectrum here of belief and conviction and thinking. So we want to talk today about your thinking and has your thinking changed? Because, you know, as human beings, we are stubbornly loyal to our thinking. We don't want to change our thinking. I mean, think of all the effort we put into our thinking. And our beliefs. And our beliefs, the beliefs, the product of the thinking. And we want to talk about dissonance of thinking, cognitive dissonance. What happens when two of my thoughts contradict each other? Or if one of my thoughts contradicts what I firmly believe to be true. Right. So beliefs are deeper than thoughts, right? I mean, people, it's like beliefs are a reservoir of of accumulated thoughts. Like you have five thoughts and then you make a belief out of it. And in cognitive behavioral therapy, we, you know, somebody's catastrophic thinking has, can often be tracked that back to some belief they have about themselves. So we work with the thought and then we work with the belief. Like, what is the belief behind all this? And so, then, and then beliefs have emotional content to them, have emotional charge. Right. We invest in the beliefs. We, we input, we, we project onto our beliefs, a sense of feeling sense. And so our beliefs you know, can distort our thinking. And what happens when a thought contradicts our beliefs? And so you are a registered XYZ, you're a registered political party, and somebody from the other party says something that you agree with. And you think is, wow, this is a must. We have to do this now as a country, as a government, whatever. And yet you're loyal to your party, your political party. How, and all your friends are part of your political party. How do you incorporate this new thought and conviction and belief into your systems of belief? I, I guess, you know, people don't want to do that. You can also take the example of somebody who was raised in, say, a Republican home, and then they go off to college and they become Democrat. 
you you love these people, but you no longer agree with their beliefs or your beliefs that you took with you to college got challenged. And now you're thinking something different. But does that mean I have to sever my ties with my family? It shouldn't. Right. But it does complicate. But it can. It can make it very complicated and very uncomfortable if you're a family that likes to talk about politics and suddenly here you are you know, fighting or or just feeling really uncomfortable, swallowing your words. I think it's a very charged time, both around, because they're also in the same family, may have different beliefs around COVID. It's very complicated, and there's a lot of people feeling challenged on many levels right now, and it's yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think we see the results of that with some of the unrest that's happening. There's a lot of discomfort here. We are being challenged on so many levels, also with racism, with you know, all these constructs and systems and structures, yes. everybody's questioning them now. And it is, uh, it's deep and it's scary. We're bumping up against how, how hard it is to change. Yes. And how important, you know, people are proud people feel about sticking to a, a line of thinking that they've had for a long time, because the more you invest in your thinking and the longer you're committed to it, and over a span of time, the st- more stubborn you're going to be in a lo- being loyal to it and then in not changing it. So a lot of people, now we're four months into this pandemic, and the question is, are you open to change about your view of this moment? Yeah, or are you just turning off all the media altogether and just going with your gut? Yeah. Some people are overwhelmed and so done with it. That they're just going to go with it. And that is a challenge, right? The information that's coming out daily, challenging, going with my gut. I've made my decision. I'm going with my gut. I don't want to put in any more time. And then I'm getting more information week by week. And is that having an impact on me or not? And I've equated this to kind of the experience you have with like the prediction of snowstorms, right? Or, or, you know, nor'easters here. We're in the Northeast. That's what you have to, you know, do with a lot of predictions. You know, how bad is it going to be and what's going to happen? And the weather people are trying to be as accurate as possible. They're trying to get all this accurate information to people so that they can make good choices. Okay. And the thing is, it's a prediction. They really don't know. They can't tell for sure exactly how many inches are going to fall and whether you need to stock up or, you know, how many trees are going to come down. It's a, it's a complete or... kind of unknown on some level. Right. Yeah, it's like in whether schools to be closed or not. And so people are kind of held in this limbo of trying to make a choice without fully accurate, consistent information. Mm-hmm. So I think I feel like we're living in this kind of storm of sorts in this pandemic where there's always this changing information it's like what am i want the human beings i think want real consistent yes we want things to be certain because when they're certain they feel safe and i'm making a good choice based on what i've learned you know and what i know and what i feel but then you know it's like there is no certainty here and and the human brain and the human being really doesn't like uncertainty. Yes. When I was a teacher, I, I remember the major instruction when you would teach a class was to always, always lead the class to closure. The lesson has to end with something that ends in closure because the human mind gets tremendously frustrated without closure. And similarly, the human mind gets frustrated 
with not knowing everything. It wants to know and be certain. And so uncertainty can really be unsettling. Very unsettling. Very dangerous. But, you know, when you were talking, it made me think, like, the, the bottom line here is effort. You know, people want to be saved an effort. So you might, your beliefs might be set up in a way, so I don't have to do any more effort. I don't have to think about that anymore in that particular area. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm challenged in this area, I have my beliefs, I have my system. Let me worry about my other things where that requires my effort. So I think part of cognitive dissonance has to include this idea of effort and the resistance to more effort. And so it can actually be an act of courage to change your opinions, to admit that this is an inconsistency and I refuse to be a person who lives with this inconsistency. I'm going to resolve this and live and act, take behaviors in a direction consistent with this new information, this new belief. So there was a time like when I stopped wearing the mask, right, a few weeks ago. I was, you know, it's not safe not to wear a mask. People, people will come right at you. So it isn't safe to not wear one, at least not in the Northeast here. Um, so, I mean, if I wasn't, wasn't getting that pushback, I, I would have continued not to wear uh, a few weeks ago. But, but now here it is. We're back. I have new information, new rise in numbers and whatnot. And, you know, now it's back with me everywhere I go. So, our, our, you know, we will change based on the new information. So, again, I want to say it's an act of courage maybe to, not maybe, but to change your behavior because of new information that you get. Another aspect of cognitive dissonance is this tension between desire and belief. And I think what you mentioned is kind of that. Like, you have a desire to not have to wear the mask anymore. It feels like a small thing in the midst of a big thing, maybe, you know, it just, there's still confusion about it, but there's the desire that this, that all of this be gone. Well, like, people, <laughs> you know, people are saying, I can't breathe, yeah. you know, so I don't want to wear a mask, you know, or, or I live in a free country, so I don't want to wear a mask. You I know, mean, people again, are coming up with reasons for not wearing a mask and thoughts, right? Beliefs about not wearing a mask. And the desire is to go back to the way things were. And to get back to our lives. And I get it. And there's this tension between that and then everything you're hearing from everywhere about, you know, pros and cons. And it's like, how do I reconcile that? And there is a lot of discomfort around that. So take smoking. Or, you know, we can take uh, behaviors. Any behaviors You know, addictions, any type of thing that has an impulse and a desire to it and a conflicting belief. So... I want to have a cigarette. I want to have a drink. Oh, you know, I want to have a cigarette, but the Surgeon General says, so, you know, I'm shortening my life with smoking. And so if I find a niche, you know, a chink in that armor of the Surgeon General says that it's not bad, you know, but my ancestry has always handled smoking really yeah, well. Yeah, my, my grandfather smoked you know, the day so he, he died was 107. at 110. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So that's one thing about cognitive dissonance. You try to find justifications and reasons to stick to your dissonant belief, your dissonant impulse, rather. And the dissonant belief is the one that's the more accurate, which is it is. It's a constant. It is unhealthy and dangerous for There's you to smoke. There's lots of evidence. A cigarette. 
A lot of So evidence. in psychology, we, we try to have people recognize their own cognitive dissonance. Like if you, you're coming to a therapist as a family, if you come as a family and, you know, the first thing you want to do as a therapist is to, where is the dissonance here? Right? How is this group not getting along? Where is the dysfunction in this group? And you name it. You name the dissonance. So he's in charge. You all have to follow. What if he's wrong? Or she's, you know, loving and doing all this and sacrificed her life. And and what if what if that was for her to have her husband stay with her or something? So you try to locate the dissonance and the dysfunction. What is everybody not acknowledging? Yeah. yeah. What What are these people, like, is there something in this it's, family dynamic that's a big deal, like alcoholism or betrayal or, or belief something? Systems. Or a belief system or that isn't working? Or the, the not having the permission to think for myself. Everybody has to be dependent here. Everybody has to have the same point of view here. Right. Everybody must agree here. And I think you often see that in family systems where one is considered the black sheep, the one who isn't believing or is rebelling against those beliefs. And so so they come in to fix that one. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Of course. He isn't fitting our mold. It's like like music, which is where cognitive dissonance dissonance comes from. Like the family doesn't hear the music not working. You know, the dissonance they're not even seeing. Mm. Or hearing, rather, because in music, it's like two sounds that don't go together, this musical dissonance. So cognitive dissonance is too many, the, the beliefs don't go together. The thinking isn't going together. Or the evidence that things are going poorly is not being acknowledged. Exactly. You know, so again, if you have an identified black sheep or addict in the family and the whole family is saying it's not a problem or this isn't happening or we can't see this, there's a cognitive dissonance in the, in the space. Yes. And, and, you know, there are so many examples uh, of that where there, there's not the permission even to see it. I mean, if you take a battered wife or something, you know, she might deny well, he only does it on, on Sundays, mm-hmm. right? And so it doesn't really have a big impact in the family um, and can go for years with that. And criminals who will justify their behavior and say, well, she, was, she had it coming to her. I'm sorry to mm-hmm. say, you know, like a rapist. She, she dressed a certain way. So provocatively, it was her fault. There's a cognitive dissonance. Yeah, and... I think we need to parse this out a little bit because that quality of dissonance is a feeling that you get that these two things don't go together and it's creating a tension in me. So say with someone who's an abuser, I have a feeling in me and I know it's not good to hit or take advantage of a woman, but I need to rectify this feeling. And so I'm going to act on the impulse that I think is going to help that, which is going to be injure that person and there's a there's a dissonance in the mind saying i know i shouldn't but i i know no other way and it's the same with a smoker like this is the way i've learned to cope with feelings that i don't want to feel so i'm just going to go for the cigarette even though i know it'll kill me earlier in my life so it's a it's a tricky topic it's a very it's a very personal topic i think everybody has their layers of this yes and there's layers of it in our society 
And it's a very, you know, anybody who's on a spiritual journey, I think, starts to encounter some of this um, or not, or they bypass it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's spiritual bypassing. Like, I'm I'm holy because I say I'm holy, but but have you really done the work? Have you really felt mm. sort of the negative feelings of, like, what it means to, to go there? And to really get to know yourself is ultimately, I think, the, the goal of, like, this show, like, the message we want to get out there is that we... It's a journey of getting to know yourself and what's authentic and right for you and lines up. And then you keep questioning that. There's no end point to this. You are an evolving, growing human being. And if you really want to do that, to evolve and grow and know yourself, you got to sort of dig in the mud a little bit. And you have to challenge your cognitive dissonance. It's It's a question of integrity, right? What is the integrity of your thinking? The inte- I, anybody could walk around and say, I'm the enlightened Buddha, mm-hmm. right? Do you show the marks of that achievement of being the enlightened Buddha? Uh, are other people confirming that? Like, can they see it? What if they don't see it? So can your convictions, your beliefs withstand the doubting and questioning of, of, of other people? And so it's a journey of integrity. Do your beliefs, are your beliefs the product of re-examination, questioning, a journey in themselves so that they can withstand the challenge of other people's? Um, This is where cognitive dissonance can be uh, a bromide to learning about your beliefs. Right. So as you start to feel maybe a challenge to your beliefs, you feel the tension and the discord in yourself and you sit down and you say, okay, so what is that about? What is what is rankling me about what this person is saying and taking some responsibility for that? Like, how does that fit or not fit? And if it doesn't fit, can I understand the other's position? Can I be in a place of taking full responsibility? Well, you know, it's like that's not my experience, but I understand that it's your experience. And uh, and in the in the dialogue, we can learn more about each other and come mm. into a certain connection. And in a than... process of reflection, a self-reflection. Because sometimes, you know, people can't change on a dime. You can't change a position you've had in mid-argument with somebody and say, have you ever heard, Have you ever met somebody who did that? And said, oh, you know, I've been completely wrong for 15 years. You know, thank you for pointing that. You know, thank you for the argument because yeah. you're, you are right and I have been wrong. Have you ever witnessed that? I've never, you can be, you know, uh, who's a famous, uh, you can be Gregory Peck in, (laughs) you know, in, in the courtroom. And I've never witnessed an adult say, you know what, you're right. And I've been wrong for 15, 20, 30 years. Well, isn't that kind of a tragedy? It's too bad more people can't do that. But the mind needs time to catch up. You can't blame them for it. People need to go home. They need to drive in the car. They need to spend time and think about, you know what? Yeah, I think I need I need time to work on admitting the truth. I mean, denial is one of the defense mechanisms so powerful people use throughout their lives. They're not going to change right up front. And you have to honor that, okay? You know, you, what you can do in an argument is say my point of view and I hear your point of view and... But it takes a big, big person to midlife change and and acknowledge. And that's the beauty also of rationality and having a mind, you know, that 
you know, if it's open, it can change. If it's closed, it's like the parachute, you know, if you jump out of, if it opens, it saves your life. If it doesn't. Right. And I think that speaks a lot to how someone feels inside themselves. If they're, if they have enough self-identity that can manage being buffeted a little bit, being like, you don't lose your center. You don't lose yourself. You're, you're able to be in discussion and not feel like it's a personal takedown that your whole world's going to collapse if this belief collapses. Yes. So I think it, it has a lot to do with how much, again, self-inquiry you have, how much you are, your self-esteem, your, how much you know your inner self is solid and, and complete and that that doesn't have to change. Your beliefs may change, your positions right. may change, but that doesn't mean you yourself as an individual become somebody completely yeah. different. So I I'm, think there's a threat to that mm. on some level because people, I think, sometimes identify too much with their beliefs. Think about Senator McCarthy, the McCarthy hearings, when it became so obvious that he had no evidence and that he did, brought the country along with his, you know, his arguments and his outrage, et cetera, and then the paranoia in the country around this issue and ultimately nothing there. And then the complete collapse of this guy because he couldn't handle it. Like, okay, yeah. And do we know people like that now? When you go to parties and events with people and they're so convinced of their point of view and they're pointing fingers and sometimes even being violent. I mean, here's the origin of weakness in the mind that you have to stick to your point of view and to the point of having violence towards anybody who disagrees. So cognitive dissonance can be actually a blessing. It's, it's an opening. It's an opportunity. It's something. How about, I like to think about it in terms of regrets. Like, do everybody has regrets, and nobody wants to hear and face their regrets. And do you have a partner who you can share your regrets with? I mean, it's a, it's a stepping stone to real intimacy. I regret what I majored in in college and what I went to grad school for. I mean, I'm wondering how many people out there, you know, regret the course of study that they took in life um, or the career path that they've taken and, and all the arguments that they're walking around with to support their reasons and that maybe. we do. So, so. Let's do this with our audience. Let's say to them, have an open approach to your regrets and, you know, spend time with yourself and, you know, and then maybe share your regrets. You know, every day is an opportunity for something new. You can change. You can regret. And then to the extent that you can change course or plot out a change, of course, you do that. I think what's important in, in reflecting on regrets is to also reflect on some of the feelings it brings up. You know, a lot of times we don't want to feel the guilt or the shame or the sadness or the grief yes. that we have in moving in a direction that felt misguided compared to now. Sometimes I feel like regrets can be a little self-defeating, if you can shift your regrets into maybe, you know, from this experience, from feeling this, what have I learned about myself? Yeah. 
maybe my tendency is to follow along and not question. So it's important for me to start questioning. You know, if you're someone who, you know, maybe grew up in a family where something was happening and you weren't allowed to question it, like alcoholism, abuse, uh, a chronic disease, and you weren't allowed to question it and you learned to just go along with whatever it's so that you don't stand out so that you can, can stay in connection with the family unit so you can stay cared for. You may continue to do that in your life and just go along with things that feel somewhat okay, but you're not yes. really questioning them. And I mean, personally, it's hard for me to question things. And, and I kind of came from that kind of milieu. Like we didn't question things were okay. Everything was somewhat okay, but there was still something that was wrong and we didn't have a way to question it. So, I'm learning more and more in my life to, to like, what is the question? Like, I really, it's funny. Like, it's hard for me to come up with a question to something that I've, you know, gained some belief in, or I feel good about. I think it's important, even with the things you feel good about, you need to really question, like, why am I doing this? Is this something that's really benefiting me? Does this have a cost to me? And I think that's part of maybe the number two, I, I'm a helper. I want to get in and start helping and participating but maybe I need to really think about like, what's the cost? Yes. What's the cost? I'm, you know, it's like I'm saying yes to these commitments and maybe, maybe it's not the best for me and right. I need to question them, even the things I want. Right. And for your references to the Enneagram number two, the giver, um, the helper, the person who helps all the time because it's too painful to confront the reality that's there. So your type of personality would be one that, well, it's too painful to live with the reality that I'm living with as a kid growing up. Let me just be the helper here, and then I'll figure it out somewhere else down the road, maybe in my own family when I get the chance. But right now, helping is the best way to manage this. So you turn off your, your thinking, and so you don't even see the dissonance anymore. So I think you're right. I mean, I think it's a good question for people to say, what did I put up with? What am I tolerating? What did what did I tolerate growing up that was, you know, unhealthy? And what were my defense mechanisms? How did I cognitive disassociate almost, you know, and turn off my thinking because it was just too unbearable to face this chronic disruption, this dysfunction, chronic. So the safest thing was to turn off my mind, to not think, to not evaluate, to not question. And and just wait. And now you're an adult, and you say, "Wow, I I I I'm my father. I'm my mother. I'm my siblings. I'm I'm my neighborhood. I'm you know where I came from is informing everything that I do." But wait a second, I have a thought that contradicts all that. How how can I stay loyal to that? upbringing that dysfunction and, and and be consistent with this thought that is telling me that is all wrong. Yeah. And if I want to be have integrity, I have to drop a lot of that stuff. So I think that's a, that's a real starting point. Ask the question, what did I put up with that didn't encourage my own thinking and my own knowing of myself? My own knowing of myself. And my own healthy dialogue with myself. Were you allowed to have a healthy... I mean, it comes down to that. And we will talk about that when we come back from our break. About the self. And how important people hold to what they tell themselves is important. Who I am. We're going to be talking about that when we come back. 
from our break. You're listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer. And we'll be back in a few moments. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. You're listening to The Positive Mind. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. So we're trying to give some people tools, strategies, concepts to help them lead a more positively minded life. Last segment, we were talking about regrets, a, a, a way to go into this softly, Nasima, because like I said, mid-argument, I have never met an adult who mid-argument said, you know what, you're right and I'm wrong. And, and that, I've been wrong for 15 years, 20 years. What an act of courage. I've never seen that. I would love to invite you, the listener, if you know someone who's done that or you've had an experience of that, write into us, Kevin at the positive mind. Dot com. Dot com. Yes. He'd love to hear the story and we can post it on mm-hmm. our on our social media. And we would put it in any show. If that comes in, I would love to read people's emails on the next show that after we get it. So If you've had that experience or you know someone who's who's had that experience. Right, and what the issue was, you know. I mean, uh, it's brave of a husband to turn to his wife and says, "You know, you you're right. You've been right." And I'm wrong and I'm going to change or vice versa, a wife to do that to a husband, a brother to do it to a sister or a parent do it to the child. It's an act of courage, but I've never seen it like that in the moment. Mm. In the moment. Here's one thing. Think about the regrets your parents might have had about the way they raised you. Think about that. You know, if your parents had a chance to talk to you and apologize, what would they apologize for? Maybe they'd admit their failings or something. And, And I think what an amazing moment that would be. Because so many times, if you go back to your family and you say, you know, I think this is what was happening. And they're like, no, 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 that wasn't what was happening. Right. It's just, again, another layer of like, wait a minute, but that wasn't my experience. My experience was this. And you're saying it's wrong. Right. How painful that is. It is painful. It is painful. And then the person will go back. I've got to study it some more. I need yeah. to study my upbringing some more. As a, you know, w- w- but what a relief on the other side if a sibling says, you know what, I've been thinking about that as well. And I could see, I might not agree totally with your take, but I could see how you would see it that way. That makes sense to me. Right. But that's so, so we're trying to give some tools here. In the first segment, we talked about approaching some regrets that you might have personally about yourself. And I shared about college for me. Um, in grad school as well, but it could be your career choice or your, or your partners, you know, your marriage or, you know, all sorts of things, having 10 kids instead of five kids, whatever it could be. Let's talk about um, areas in people's lives where they're trying to be consistent. Like, where is it in your life that it's important for you to be consistent? There are the cases and the places where cognitive dissonance an alien thought that challenges the whole system. 
becomes difficult to handle. So, so if you're a parent, right? Yeah. And you have this philosophy of how I'm going to raise my kids. And then you get a, a thought like, you know what? Maybe that's a little too strict. Maybe I've been too strict and I should let my kids at age 13, 14, 15, whatever, have a little more freedom or whatever, you know? So there would be a dissonant thought that would challenge your way of being a parent. We also thought, you know, as you're a citizen, a citizen of a city, a state, a country, and then you might either feel like you had an experience, you went to another country, and you see how things are done, and then you come back to the States, and you're like, wait a minute, that's that's wrinkling something in me. Like, right. wait a minute, oh, it doesn't feel right. I wish sure. we had this, like they have there. Like, like, you know, the siesta in Spain, you know, like how nice it would be right. if we would all just stop and have a break in the middle <laughs> of the day. Wouldn't that be great? It, but, but it kind of pushes against the American ideal of you work and you get it done and we're right. high powered and we're accelerated in our way. Yeah. So um, you could pick any political issue, capital punishment, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, voting, you know, some people say, you know, it's your, not only your right, but your duty to vote. And if you don't vote, you're not really a citizen and you don't qualify really to be an American. Right. Are you, you know, participating? So, so how do you, you know, argue against that kind of thinking? So take any political issue and think, well, what could challenge this? As an employee of a company. And maybe the company starts producing something or doing something that you don't agree with, but you've worked there for 20-some years. Mm. And you're well invested in it. You've put a lot of effort into where you are, and suddenly the the mission changes. And your, your responsibilities to raising my family, you mm-hmm. know, living in the place, the, the state, the city that I'm living in, uh, and I have to continue with this work, this right. job. right. So cognitive dissonance can show up in these areas of deep, deep commitments. And, um, and you know, how do we handle these challenges? Yeah. Same with, like you said, like in choosing your partner, your lover, your person that you're going to spend your life with. Maybe after some time, you realize you're at odds. You're not following the same purpose anymore or something in them has changed or something in you has changed. And that can be a very painful decision to end the relationship because it no longer is working that way or move into therapy and try to come back to some common ground, you know, if that's possible. And that's why in couples therapy we do that. We do a recommitment. and But we, you know, it's so different second time around. You know, couples who have, and and we always say this in couples therapy, which I do, that, you know, it takes average seven years for a couple to come once the real dysfunction settled in. So you could be married 15 years, but year eight, you recognize, you know, this isn't working anymore. We're totally different, et cetera. But it's going to take you another seven years to go air this out in front of somebody else. Mm Mm-hmm. And and the tragedy of that is, you know, like, it's there now. But again, it's like admitting your argument, like I'm wrong in my argument. You know, so couples, second time around, you know, couples have been through their own war with their own mind around, wow, this dissonance in my marriage, this is nothing what I thought it would be. 
And now is a chance to like go into a commitment in a conscious way. And we start in couples therapy. What is your shared mission in this relationship? What is your like, vision? What's your vision together? Because if you're at odds, if your vision is at odds, it's never going to work. Never. So it's a great opportunity when people recognize the dissonance in their life and with their partner and they say, look, we need, to, we need help. We need to redefine things. And better to do it sooner rather than later because the resistance and the, the, um, the, the discord really can bring such charge to this dissonance. Like it just, you get more and more angry at each other. You start, sure, sure. you know, it, it just gets meaner and meaner on some level yes. and the love really gets squeezed it's, out. It's a genuine it's tragedy like, for everybody who's living in that house with you as well. So we, we would encourage once there's a real entrenched dissonance in the marriage or in any conflict that you take it to a third person, see if, see if you can come to agreed upon terms so that you can make it work in your own mind. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this consistency in the self, Nasima, because really cognitive dissonance really is about the self and the denial of reality, <laughs> right? The self is trying to maintain its vision of reality, and then some thoughts, stray thoughts, some stray piece of scientific information comes in. Some evidence. Some evidence comes in, hard reality, that contradicts this self and the thoughts to the self that makes me have to change. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and and it makes me have to reassess myself and my participation and what I want. It's hard work. No wonder why people don't want to do it. They'd rather just turn a blind eye to it. Um, You really... You got to you got to sit down and 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 be able to be with some difficult emotions and some vulnerability. It's a very vulnerable place, yeah. and so you need to be with someone you trust and maybe a third party to hold the space for you, um, to really take a deep dive. And you know, a technique that we do here in Safe Conversations is a good structure for that. Um, we have that on our website, but it's a it's a good structure to explore what's happening for you and share it with another that isn't about necessarily having them change their point of view, but teaching them about yours and helping you discover yours more and more because it's just about discovering you. Yeah. So we should say that the safe conversations is about mirroring, validating and empathizing. So you would say a statement like I've been wrong about X, Y, Z for all my life. I saw this person this way and I had them that way and it was I'm totally wrong about that. And the other person would mirror that back saying, I hear you telling me that you have such and such. Can you say more about that? And I would take it back another step where you might say, I'm having a real problem with this thought, this idea, this new evidence, like, or even in a relationship, like I'm... I'm having the experience of a lot of tension when I'm around you. Yeah. And so the other would just help explore what is that tension about? What's been going on? What what haven't you been able to say or ask about that maybe you wanted to? And the space wasn't safe enough for you to bring it up. But we're going to put this structure here so that we both feel safe just sort of airing these things 
that yeah that word wrinkle it's a wrinkle yes. it's a it's it gets my hockles up you know up. as it's, you're talking this him i'm thinking about the kid who's you know the the son daughter living in a family and a parent with parents say i love you but they hit them mm. you know or they deprive them or they severely severely punish him and you know i'm doing this for your benefit that this is this is why i'm treating you the way that i'm treating you and such a person coming into a conversation, a safe conversation, a kid at that age, imagine the opportunity of a child at that age. You know, my, my, my daddy says he loves me, but he hits me all the time. Saying that to the father. Saying that to somebody that it's safe to say that to. Okay. Of course, all the problems in marriages, in life, start somewhere. And a, a child is being physically hit at home chronically repeatedly mm-hmm. is going to have a lot of problems as they get older and what a gift if they can do it talk to somebody at a young age that you know he says he loves me and he's caring for me and he's but he hits me all the time so that's cognitive dissonance how can i say i love my father but he hits me all the time there's the dissonance the mind a young mind can't handle it no, it can't. So the safe conversation that we're talking about stretches that out, you know, separates that out. And you say that, you start with that sentence, and then, you know, the person is mirroring and saying, can you say more about that? And the child, of course, would say, of course I can say more about that. He hit me the other night, or he hit me on the holidays, or whatever, these kinds of things. I'm saying how important a good conversation can straighten out cognitive dissonance. The other steps to safe conversation are validating and empathizing. So imagine how it is for that child to have somebody who's sitting across from him and say, it makes sense that you're confused about how to love your father when he hits you. Or, whether, he, or whether your father even loves you. Right. Right. And, or whether your father even loves you. That makes sense that you. you're doubting that. And then in empathizing, I might be like, I can imagine that you feel a lot of, you know, confusion, anxiety, maybe sadness, because you want to love your father, but he makes it so hard and he makes it so confusing and so scary. Yes. So. And actually, you would also say, I can see as you're telling me this story, how upset you are, how sad you seem, how confused you seem etc are those true are those your feelings yes can you say something about those feelings you're right and what it you know gosh that's the last thing a a child in that kind of home is allowed to have is their own feelings Mm -hmm. and you know conversations is a gift so you can learn more about that by checking our website the foundation for positive psychology.org tffpp.org and it's a it's a powerful tool. It's a wonderful tool. And, you know, anybody can do it. Anybody can share it. I think it's an important way. If you want to work with your own cognitive dissonance about something, like you really do want to stop smoking, you really do want to lose weight. Yes. And you keep falling in the same hole. Right. This is a great way to Choose suss it out. somebody to tell it to. That's yeah, right. Yeah, to, to have somebody That's right. be able to listen to you validate you empathize with you be with you in the feelings that you have about like you know how smoking has saved your life sometimes it may have and it's hard to let it go 
You know, it's hard. It 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 got you. But in it with also the is a way to, to through the safe conversation to you know get to your own integrity, to get to your own certainty about what you do and why you do it and what you might want to change. Right. And then you've got somebody to support you in that because that's also part of what you need. You need sometimes someone to to be a mirror, to let you see yourself. Because it's hard sometimes to see yourself when nobody's there to sort of tell you. And it's it's one question you might ask. I thought this was very beautiful. There were a couple of TED Talks we listened to about this. And this one woman said, with her mother, every year she goes and she asks her, so, so how are you doing in your life? How do you feel about your life? Who says this to who? The mother to the child? or The, the child the to the mother. Or... The child to your mother. Wow. Like, wouldn't that have been a wonderful... Wow. I wish I had asked my mother that. Yeah. To just say... How do you feel in your life right now? Gosh. And that she asks you that question. And maybe you share how you've, you know, how you feel. What do you think of your life right now? Are you in the same place you were last year? What's changed? Terror. And to just be, to just be curious about the people you love that way and to be curious about yourself that There's way. There's a little good self-therapy right there. To pick a time in your life when, when that was the last thing your parent would have done to you like take yourself at six or seven how are you doing in there how, how are you right <laughs> well, and just no really do it to yourself but... you know really take yourself like at 12 i mean a parent saying how is your life going imagine what you would have said at 12 at 15 take a pivotal period in your development i mean i needed somebody to ask me at 17 how are you doing how is your life going what are you thinking and just shush and let me answer and then say, can you say more about that? Can you say more about that? Boy, would that have made a lot of changes, a lot of differences. Oh, big time. You know, so, so uh, you know, this could go on. You can notice in yourself. I mean, I've noticed in myself if somebody had asked me at seven, seven years of age or earlier, maybe I'm, I'm confused. It might be five, six or seven, but I could have used that. How are you doing? How is your life going? I mean, I think it would have been. Interesting. I, I don't know how self-reflective five, six, seven-year-olds are, but they might bring up stuff around school because I think school is where kids, oh, especially you'd be that shocked. age, you'd be surprised. are really. They bring up everything, of course. Yeah, of course. They so try it. it. If you have a young yes, person in your life, right. ask them that question, and you know, ask them to ask you the same thing. Why not? Yes. Why not share a little bit about what's going on? It's a on? great way for parents to establish eye contact with a child. Like, how often is your contact with your child without the eye contact? Here's a safe conversation where your child is forced to look you in the eye and you him or her, and they get used to talking while they're looking at you. It's a great discipline. It's a great opportunity for the young mind. So, Kevin... How are people supposed to manage this? Like we're talking about cognitive dissonance. It is a state of discomfort and unease in someone. How do people deal with it? Some people don't, you know, so you either um, dig your feet in deeper, hold your ground, you know, try to convince yourself what you're hearing isn't true. And there are all sorts of methods that people use to continue to dig their feet in deeper, or you can challenge it and be open to it and, and evaluate and use your mind and really consider it and deliberate around it. That, that, that's basically it, you know, and there are so many examples of people that are digging their feet in because it's just costs too much. What's the worst that it would cost you? I mean, I think that's a question 
where am I wrong in my life? <laughs> you know, where before I'm actually even confronted with cognitive dissonance, you know, if I can practice where I might be wrong or I might not be admitting the full truth or the truth is more complex than I'm willing to admit, rather than be embarrassed with cognitive dissonance, you can ask yourself those questions. You know, what am I doing that maybe I'm not really sure is working for me? So that would be some way to avoid it. But those are your basic two choices. Dig your feet in more or be open to changing. And then asking, why should I change? What are the benefits of me changing this position? Some people, like, if if, if they're confronted with an opposite you know, political position or issue or idea, they think, well, I'll lose all my friends. If I change my position on this, I could lose all my friends. So that's a big thing and could cost greatly. So you compromise your integrity in order to keep your friends. So it makes sense. So it's more complicated than we think. But the question becomes, how, what do I need to change? Um, how, how, what will it cost me? And also, well, like the cost-benefit analysis, like what is it costing me to stay the same? What is it costing me to continue to smoke? There are many costs to that. Yes. And if I if I look at the benefits of like I might have a longer life, I know I'll be able to be there for my children's, my grandchildren, Correct. you know, right. Um, right. like really take a look at the, the pros and cons, the cost benefit analysis in a really sort of hard calculated way, like really sit down and make that list yes. and be like, what is this belief and idea or habit or addiction costing me? Right. And what are the benefits I can maybe, you know, garner? from changing you know it's i also think having having a level of self-compassion our minds are so vulnerable even when we think they're not you know so if you're open to accepting that the mind my mind is is vulnerable i am susceptible to influence and impulse that i I don't have complete control at all times and you know history is replete with those examples that, you know, if you refuse to hold such a tight rein over the importance of your consistency and have some compassion around it, you know, and so this is such a big ramification. I was, as we were researching this topic, cognitive dissonance, we came upon this experiment that the social psychologist Lee Ross did uh, with the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. And I'm going to quote this because it can get a little confusing. Uh, In a laboratory experiments designed to find ways to reduce the bitter conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, he took the peace proposals created by the Israeli negotiators and labeled them as Palestinian proposals. And he asked the Israeli citizens to judge them. Turns out the Israelis liked the Palestinian proposals attributed to Israel more than they like the Israeli proposals attributed to the Palestinians. If your own proposal isn't going to be attractive to you when it comes from the other side, what chance is there that the other side's proposal is going to be attractive when it actually comes from the other side? So this, you know, we're talking about compassion for the mind that you have. And, you know, you can dig your feet in, 
and hold to that, but that's actually a weak mind. A broad mind will be open to proposals from other people and other sources rather than remain cognitively dissonant. If the Israelis and the Palestinians are doing it and can do it, we can do it. You know, so I, I just wanted to close with that because um, when we're talking about dissonance and our behavior and the conflict between our behavior and our thinking and our beliefs, you know, the more you fight the co contradictions, the worse it's going to get. The self wants to maintain a certain sense of integrity, and but it takes a, a sophisticated mind to to challenge the consistency. And that the self is an ever-changing thing, too. I mean, as new information comes in, your self can shift and change yes. and, be, yes. and evolve. And I think it's really important. The more you know yourself and you know your capacity to do that, the better off you'll be in this world that is full of contradictions. You know, and there are certain religious faiths that believe that we need more than one life to get it right. <laughs> And we want to take this time to acknowledge the stations that have picked us up, the Positive Mind Radio Show, WRWK 93.9 in Richmond, Virginia, KXCR 90.7 Florence, Oregon, WGRN Columbus, Ohio, KYGT in Idaho Springs, Colorado, KACR 96.1 in Alameda, California, KPPQ 104.1 in Ventura, California, WHPW 97.3 in Harpswell, Maine. If you air the Positive Mind Radio Show and would like us to mention your radio station, let us know by reaching us at Kevin at the Positive Mind.com. You can also listen to our shows and sign up for our newsletter on www.tffpp.org. Those are the letters for the Foundation for Positive Psychology.org. You can also search that on Google. And you've been listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Diemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. Be well. We'll see you next week.